We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Oh, wow. You're actually wearing your hair down tonight. Yeah, because I finally decided that I love my hair. I figured out the solution for my morning frizz, midday poof, and even next day bedhead. It's Frizz E Secret Weapon Touch-Up Cream by John Frieda. Will you and your hair look flawless. Flawless and touchable. Feel. Oh. See? It's soft, smooth ends, no flyaways, shiny. Well, I clearly need to get some because your hair looks amazing. Frizz E Secret Weapon, only from John Frieda. Rotowire NBA podcast, Nick Whalen and DJ Trainer here with you this Monday, October 24th. As we record, we are about, what, 26 and a half hours until the start of the NBA season. So by the time that we're done with this podcast, almost less than 24 hours left until we get the Knicks and the Cavaliers on Tuesday night. Uh, Warriors and Spurs, I believe, is the late game on national TV. Uh, in the words of the great Bart Scott, can't wait. You know, we usually go play Roto Hoops on Tuesdays. I'm not going tomorrow. You're not going? No. I was just thinking about that. I'm not going. I'm skipping Roto Hoops. Uh, we have a little kind of intra intra work league, I guess, where we just go play pickup hoops, as DJ said, on Tuesday nights. But no, I'm out tomorrow. We, I mean, the World Series game one is tomorrow as well. I want to watch that. Um, and obviously, I want to watch Cavs-Knicks. 
Yeah, I sent in my RSVP. I might have oh, to pull did? out. Yeah, might have to pull out though. Yeah, I would get you know get to that maybe as soon as possible. I think we might have light numbers this week anyway with those things going on. Um, but a lot to get to uh, in the NBA. This is a day uh, when a lot of teams are making cuts. You know, ninety nine percent of those roster cuts as teams get down to fifteen players uh, don't really matter at all. But there were a couple notable ones. Uh, Archie Goodwin released by the Phoenix Suns on Monday. Um, you know, the numbers don't really say that Goodwin has been all that great. He's, I think he's averaging something like 14 minutes per game over his first three NBA seasons. Hasn't really had a ton of opportunity. Uh, although after Knight and Bledsoe got hurt last year, he did start uh, something like 12 games for the Suns. So they were able to get a, a decent look at him. He played well in the preseason. Um, so, you know, on the general news scale, this is probably like a two out of 10, but on a day like this, Archie Goodwin released, I'm expecting there, there to be quite a bit of interest. I mean, I think Philadelphia has number one uh, priority on the waiver claims. I think Brooklyn is second. You know, if I'm either of those teams, I'm taking a hard look at Archie Goodwin. Yeah, and the perspective I'm taking from this, of course, I'm, I'm being very, um, very uh, arrogant here. Not arrogant. <laughs> uh, self-indulgent. I'm very, I'm very interested to see where this is going to go. <laughs> I'm already off the rails. We haven't even started this podcast. Is that you and I? Talked about Archie Goodwin on 120 Sports NBA TV last year. There were various points where Archie Goodwin got a lot of opportunity or at least a lot of playing time. Yeah, but I if mean, relative at, to like his DFS price. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it was like a one-off, one-night, or one-week kind of stint. But if you look at who they have at point guard, they're kind of stacked. At the end of last year, they they obviously were pretty beat up. You add Tyler Eulis to the mix of Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, already you have quite a bit uh, of available pieces there at point guard. You add a great venue. A veteran in Barbosa and John Jenkins, who's been kind of riddled with injuries to start his NBA career, but um, people were high, very high on him in college as a knockdown shooter, right from Vanderbilt. So I, I do like who they have. Although I think Archie Goodwin was, I, I agree, it's a, it's a bit of an odd move, but he's going to get picked up and potentially be a backup point guard immediately. Yeah, I mean he's still raw. You know, it's not like they're leaving a, a six man sitting, you know, sitting out there on waivers or anything. But no, I mean I think he's a player that's certainly better than you know just a guy you look at as a D league commodity at this point. He's going into his fourth year, um, and I do wonder. I haven't really read anything that would kind of go along with this, but I do wonder if you know Goodwin, if the Suns are maybe doing this partially because it's in Goodwin's best interest as a player. Like you said, I mean, the, the Suns are kind of stacked at the point guard spot with Bledsoe, Knight, and Uless. Uh They bring in Barbosa. You, you already have Devin Booker, you know, showing enough in year one that he's displaced Brandon Knight in the starting lineup. Um, I mean, I think ideally they keep Goodwin around, but the way that this team is constructed, they probably weren't going to extend him beyond this year. Um, wasn't really in the long-term plan just because of how much other talent they have in the backcourt. So, you know, if you look at Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Orlando, you know, those type of teams, um, if you, throw, you look at the Sixers, for example. Like, do you throw Archie Goodwin in there with, you know, Sergio Rodriguez, TJ McConnell, Hollis Thompson? Like, he's right in that group where he's going to have a better opportunity wherever he lands, I think, to, to carve his way in the NBA. That's an interesting perspective to take on it. But I, I think from just, uh, like, let's get this organizi- organization uh, under better footing, I think it makes sense to get rid of him because all those minutes that you would be giving to Goodwin, um, those backup minutes, should be going to Tyler Eulis. You're going to want to you're going to want to procure him. You're going to going to give him added reps, um, and that's going to be very few minutes left over from Bledsoe. Minutes left over from Knight are going to be few and far and in between. So of course you need to be giving those to Tyler Eulis and not somebody like Archie Goodwin. I don't know why they didn't try to flip him. I think he could have been trade bait at some point. A team that's like Detroit. Uh, a team like Detroit. Uh, nobody. Really 
really has ever been sold on Ishmith. Um, what the word coming out of Detroit seems that like maybe Reggie Jackson is going to have this injury problem linger deeper into the season. We're going to we're going to see and take it on a week by week basis. But somebody like a Detroit, I think, would have had a lot of interest in somebody like Archie Goodwin. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's tough to say what they're really looking for with, with Goodwin out right now. I mean, they're going to go forth with with Ish Smith and Ray McCallum. They let go of Lorenzo Brown over the weekend. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, they, they might be a team that if this Jackson issue, you know, lingers beyond November, uh, that, that starts combing the point guard market. James Young, a, a personal favorite of mine, we, we'll keep this brief, but he made the Celtics roster, was in pretty serious jeopardy, I think, around midsummer uh, of getting let go. A uh, guy who hasn't quite lived up to his potential coming out of Kentucky, but um, Danny Ainge spoke very highly of, of Young's maturity. Dude, in, everybody speaks so highly of Young, but then when this day comes, you know, yeah, it well, wouldn't have been that surprising if he got let go. People talk about him quite yeah, a bit, but saying. we haven't like seen he, anything from him. We haven't seen he, anything on a team that is is more than willing to give minutes to younger players because that's where they are at that point in their point in their yeah. maturation of an organization. I mean, Ainge reportedly told him this is the first time you've ever earned something in your life, which is partially, I think he almost meant it as a compliment. I mean, it comes off as pretty damning, but he's probably right. I mean, this is a, you know, top 10 recruit in high school, goes to Kentucky and, you know, he, he's not quite like a, like a Nick Young type of player, but he has that, he has like the same on court game as Nick Young. He's not like a crazy Instagram, you know, I don't even know what, uh, off the court, but I think I think it, the Celtics were pleasantly surprised by by how Young conducted himself and how he worked this offseason. So you know, probably only appears in like thirty games this year. Maybe he goes back to the main red claws, uh, but he's still. I mean, he just turned twenty one midway through August, so a lot of growth potential left there. They left R.J. Hunter off their roster, a first round pick last year. Um, really, really struggled as a rookie. Um, just, I mean, he kind of had unlimited range as a shooter in college. That was his calling card. Was never that efficient of a shooter. I don't know if they expected him to become more efficient uh, at the NBA level, but that obviously did not happen. Here's how I view this. I think Boston could potentially be poised for a big trade at some point this season before the trade deadline. James Young, to me, seems like better trade bait than somebody like RJ Hunter is. Do I think James Young is going to play that often? No, not at all. I think he'll be a staple on that main Red Claws team. And and I think James Young from like a Sacramento King standpoint is more enticing than RJ Hunter would be. I'm not willing to admit or say that Young is that much better than RJ Hunter is. I, yeah. I just think there's more interest in Young around the league than somebody like RJ Hunter. And that's why they Maybe, kept him. Yeah, I think it's a horse apiece to be for, honest. For a team that's so stacked at shooting guard, it doesn't really matter who's their sixth or seventh option. No. And uh RJ Hunter is his birthday today. He was waved on Ouch, waved wow. on his birthday. Metal World Peace, Thomas Robinson, both made the Lakers. Um, they cut Anthony Brown. Not not huge news, but like two days ago, they were talking about maybe making Meta an assistant coach, and now he's their 15th man. Yeah, we're going to get into each team in the West and talk about their weakness, and I certainly have some bones to pick with them in terms of yeah. just a weird grab bag of players they have rostered currently. That was, that was a really good transition. I want to acknowledge that, but I'm also going to ignore it and interrupt with a trivia question. Wow. Can you name all of the teams, and we'll include the Lakers. They'll be the free space here. Can you name all the teams that Thomas Robinson has played at least one game for since entering the league in 2012? Okay. There are one, two, three... Four five outside of the Lakers. Good rebounder, great per thirty six rebounder. Yeah, offensive game not really there so much. Uh, I know Lakers, of course. Portland will That's be one. one. Uh, did he make a stop in New Orleans? 
No, good guess though. You would think wow. you would think last year in not Memphis either. That's been a rotating door. Uh, yeah. New Orleans has. Yeah. I don't know if I can go deeper than that. Well, think. I mean, who was he drafted by? You always love. You just love to hang me he out. He was to like dry. the fourth overall pick, dude. Okay, Sacramento. He started. Then he went to Houston. Then he went to Portland. Then he went to Philadelphia. And then he played out last season in Brooklyn. Wow. So, okay, Brooklyn. I should have gotten. I, I will say my lasting thought of Thomas Robinson is always with Portland. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but um, yeah, your little draft pick college questions always always stump me. Always <laughs> this like, was oh, this was like four years I ago. Know, right? I know. I know. I know. I don't have um, as good a memory for that stuff as you do. Obviously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll talk briefly. We did a we did a Rotowire staff league auction last night, and different than it was the one a mega that, auction. Different than the one that you and James yes. talked about on Thursday, and also different than the one that Shannon and Ken Kreitz right. talked about on Friday. A lot of auctions going on. This was a this is one that I put together just for in people that work in the office here. Twenty teams, so there's twenty people in this league. I wanted to have as many people involved as possible. Sometimes in the past with our football leagues, we'll break it up and go 12 and 12, but I really just wanted to have one big rotisserie league, make it an auction. It was crazy. I don't know how much there is to take from this that we can actually you know, chew on and learn and give back to, to our listeners, but it is pretty interesting because this was for a lot of people who play right. so much fantasy, their first time being in a 20-team league, period. Yeah, so a lot of these, you know, some, some of our part-timers, some of our interns were in on this, um, so that was cool to open it up to everybody. This is basically just the, the only reason we're doing this is to have something to trash, uh, trash talk about in the office, yes. and that already started happening this morning. Um, with Shannon McCune coming in, I think he actually is on the DL with an ear infection right now. He left the office early, but he got his, he got his trash talk in when he immediately after walking in. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, with twenty teams and with some inexperienced players, there's not like a ton you can take away from uh, you know the auction itself. But I think it's just an interesting exercise to look at player values, like not necessarily the dollar values themselves, but who was valued over who. You know, because we say that you know there's inexperienced players here, but everyone in the league knows the NBA you know, to, to an extent that we felt comfortable inviting them. So there was none, there was nothing like egregious happening here, but at the same time, some, some questionable buys. We'll say. And, and let me, let me say this because it's really important to know this. No entry fee. Rotowire mm-hmm. taking care of some gift cards at the end of yep. the year. Full disclosure. So when there's no entry fees, some crazy stuff happened. In right. fact, James Anderson put down, Mike Conley went for 15 bucks, which was an amazing wow, steal. What a buy by whoever got him. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> must be a really good fantasy player. Yeah, good job, Nick. But, oh, but that, that being said, uh, Shannon actually got kicked out of the room, came back. I made an executive oh. decision just to keep it rolling. Allegedly got. He happened to get kicked out just when, when yeah. Mike Conley went for 15. There I, were 18 other people could have bid him up. Right. So, so the point being that um, Shannon came back and said, I wasn't going to get him, but why didn't you bid him up further? Mm-hmm. And the response was, this is a no-entry league. I don't want to have any Memphis Grizzlies on my team because I don't right. want to be watching them throughout the year. So that's kind of the mindset going into this. Lots of homerism here. Giannis went for $137. I got James Harden for $139 because I've found a way. I don't know. $200 how. budget for the record. Yeah, $200 budget. I, I, haven't, I haven't had any exposure to Harden yet in any of my drafts. I just wanted him in one league because I think he could be the best overall mm-hmm. player. I followed that up with some very questionable decisions. But again, it was a no-entry league. Some people were just having some fun with it. Some other people were taking it very seriously. What was the what was the biggest what was the most egregious thing that happened? Well, the Giannis buy was up there. Uh one thirty seven I think was a little bit high. Um the most egregious thing that happened. There were well, somebody took Chris Middleton. It's a it's a single season league. Right. So there's that. Uh it's kind of I think he was probably pretty shocked when no one else bid on him. Um 
But I mean, like I said, there was nothing that like really I thought was you know way out of hand. I mean, all the the big big time players you know went for a hundred plus, but you know Giannis going for seventeen dollars more than Curry was was kind of crazy. Westbrook at one thirty was you know in the long run was fine. I think. I think some people were probably shocked to see those type of values going off the board that early because, you know, you're using basically two thirds of your budget right, right. away. Uh, but as the draft goes on, you know, there's such a steep decline, you know, once you get out of the top 50 or so players, you know, everybody jumps down to like five or less dollars. Yeah. I, I, I'll say probably the most egregious thing was what I did. Cause I think I have <laughs> probably the worst team and I'm fully willing to admit that I botched this draft and it really stinks. Cause I think I was the person that was most looking forward to this. Cause I put it I together. Think, I think that's very fair to say. Yeah. And, and I just botched it. Uh, so I, I got hardened for 139, which I was completely fine with, but for whatever reason, I had this mindset in my head because we only have five positional players and then three utilities, four bench spots. So there's your rosters really aren't terribly deep. Um, and, and so I was thinking if you have two like firm staples in your, in your lineup that complement each other in terms of the other categories, cause it's a eight category rotisserie league that you could really go far. And so I got a Baca for one forty three, which means that I was handicapped for the rest of the draft. My third best player on this team is Will Barton. My fourth best might be Amir Johnson and it goes down and down and down from there. So I, I completely botched it. I think that's the most egregious thing that's happened is that I basically spent my whole budget on two players and I still thought that was an okay idea until we started to get into that 50 to 70 range when you grabbed Mike Conley for $15, when all these people who basically spent two-thirds of their budget on one player, which I would say two-thirds of the league probably did that um, also, that everybody started to become really conservative. That's when people like you and people like Shannon. The Sharks. The Sharks, who really, really exercised some self-constraint, did really well. Rudy Gobert ended up going for $29. He essentially is going to do the exact same thing. Thing that I'm hoping Serge Ibaka will do, and I spent way more money on Ibaka than I did Gobert. Um, so, so I messed up entirely. But what a fun exercise it was. Um, to 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 be in a 20 team auction league with a $200 budget. Yeah, I'm, I'm going into an NFBKC draft tonight, so it's going to be basically the complete. I don't know how much this prepared <laughs> me for it. Like this is like playing that, you know, playing JV and then jumping up to that. I'm probably going to get uh, swamped tonight. We'll see. But I bought Davis for 108. I'm that's high on be Davis. A good, that's I think be a good it is buy. relative to some of the other buys, but still a little bit higher. Like, like would I rather had Kawhi at 81 or Chris Paul at 76? Like for sure. I, I just at the time, I kind of felt there were only so many elite players left, and I needed to make an aggressive buy there. I was able to get Cantor for 16. I think he's going to be a monster this year. Clay, I I was so close to getting Clay for like 30 dollars, and then Rotowire's Chris Benzine masquerading as, as someone else <laughs> bid me up for no reason really at all, $12 on Thompson to a probably more fair level of 44, which I was still okay with. But oh, I, I yeah. almost got him for a, a really big-time bargain. And then, like you said, Conley at 15 due to some uh, a, you know alleged technicalities. Well, to, well, I guess a lot of the people at the point that Conley went, a lot of people had such a low budget they couldn't even get up that high to bid you up. Right. So like I said, not only was I handicapped for my own roster, I was handicapped from letting things like this happen. So I had at this point I had nine nine I only had two players and my max bid was nine dollars. So a lot of egregious things went through. But you know, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Next time I'm in a twenty team auction, I am going to completely hold off on the first twenty players or so because there was so much value yeah. to be had. When you think about it, because the active rosters are so short on this, this ended up being the same size league as any fourteen team right. league that you'd even play, you'd ever play in. So yeah, that's the thing. That's that's a good way to look at it. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know if I'll be doing a, t- a ton more 20-team auctions. We'll be doing this again good. next year. We? We're all going to be better prepared. It should be. You know what? It'll, it'll be something that <laughs> we can actually. I believe I told you, no, I don't want to be in this league. And, and then made three you. hours later, I have an email saying, congratulations, you've joined the league. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, here we go. But no, I will say it was fun. It was, it was, a, it was a fun time last night. Good, good. All right, let's talk about um, the Western Conference. Last week on this podcast, we went through and, and discussed the weaknesses or what we think could be the fatal flaws of each team in the East. We'll do the same for the West, and, and we'll start with the Golden State Warriors, a team that you might have heard of. They play on the West Coast in the San Francisco area. Um, what's, what's the biggest flaw for them, or what's something that could derail I mean, what, what we really expect to be you know, a historical season on some levels? No surprise here when we do these lists. You get very technical, talk about X's and O's, and I usually go broader theme stuff. So I think we complement each other really well. Um, so there's that. Get ready for that. So my biggest weakness for these Warriors is them kind of playing it cool during the season. Now, everybody knows they're the overwhelming favorite to win the championship, but what that does mentally is I don't know if you become battle-tested when it really matters. When you're in the Western Conference Finals and a team finds out to, finds out a way to shut down something that's worked for you all 82 games during the regular season, are you going to be ready for something like that? Will they be mentally and both strategically ready when the playoffs hit and when teams that have been studying all season long to shut them down but didn't actually show that, didn't actually play their hand or show their hand during the regular season all these other teams in the mix like the Clippers they're struggling and constantly trying to find new ways to win against teams they've been playing throughout the regular season the Warriors don't have to do out, do that they can go out there and play you know backyard pickup ball and win you know find their way to win 65 games very easily but when things really get tough Will this team be ready mentally? I wouldn't be surprised if a team like the Spurs or like the Clippers got a couple games in a, you know, in like a six or seven game series in the Western Conference Finals because they, you know, play them different than anybody else has played them. And they really didn't see that at any point during the season. So that's my biggest weakness. If that's the biggest weakness for a team, then we're talking about a team that might be one of the best of all time. I, I think that's uh, fair to say, yes. Um, me, for me, it's rim protection. Um, and you can, again, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of grasping at straws, I guess, in some ways when you're, you know, when you're picking weaknesses for a team like this. But Zaza Pachulia is not a great rim protector. He's a crafty rim protector. He's he's done a good job, you know, given his physical limitations. But I think they're going to miss Festus Azili. They certainly missed him in the finals. They missed him even in, in the Western Conference finals when he wasn't 100%. Um, you know, the nice thing is you have Draymond Green, who might be, you know, the most versatile and probably is the most versatile defender, uh, in the NBA. Uh, and he's going to end up playing, you know, considerably more minutes there than Pachulia will McGee. Um, you know, I think he's fun from a fan perspective. He's fun from a blocks perspective. Um, but I do wonder, you know, fundamentally, can Steve Kerr, you know, turn him into what they need him to be? And, and that's a you know a guy who can play minutes if Draymond Green is suspended or, you know, in foul trouble, things like that. So that's the one thing for me is, you know, Durant is, is a very good defender when engaged. We saw that in the playoffs last year. The rest of this team are, are all at least average defenders, if not plus defenders. And that's going to be big. But you know, if if there's one weakness for me, it's that they might have some trouble stopping teams around the rim. Uh, I came across some interesting Warriors prop bets last week. Um, I think I sent these to you. I might not have. I don't know. But either way, we we can discuss a couple of them because I think they're really interesting. Uh, but we'll go quickly on these. These are real props. I don't know where you can get them, but I, I saw them on the internet, so you know they're real. <laughs> the over/under for the longest Warriors win streak this season is 18 and a half. I'd take the over on that. Um, 
I suppose so. Yeah, I'd take the over. I, I, just, I don't think this team is going to be as dominant game-to-game, week-to-week in the regular season as they were last year. I think I think they will. You think they will? I think they will. They're going to back their way into it, or do you think that they're going to come out trying to be as fierce as they were? Because their mindset last year they've was been like so killing teams in. in the preseason. Like, but they're not. They're not being fierce. They're just like playing fun basketball, and that's that's enough for them to beat almost any team any night. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it, there could be points when when things get tough and they, they might not have the right attitude, and it might take them a few games to readjust. Um, we'll and granted, those those games where they readjust could end up in wins. That's how good they are. The thing is, like, there's only so many teams that even like could beat them on a good night. You know what I mean? Like, can it, like is there a scenario in which like the Nets beat the Warriors? Like, how many things would have to go wrong for that to happen? Like, there are so many games on the schedule that, barring complete catastrophe, like the Warriors can bring their like D plus game and still win. You know what I, I mean? Like, there's only like so many teams that you look at as all right, if they play really well, maybe they have a chance tonight. I, I agree. The Nets are a bad example, but, I mean, let's let's take it back to last year. Milwaukee is the team that beat them. Yeah. They gave them their first loss. So, to me, that version of Milwaukee this year would be somebody like the Nuggets. A lot of great pieces, sure, yeah. a little bit of veteran guys that could come in there and potentially knock them off. Yeah. I mean, it was um, a road back-to-back. Like, it's going to take things. You know, all right. of these things are going to have to kind of stack up for, for the Stars to align and the Warriors to maybe lose, which is just absurd. All right, Over-under for the longest w- losing streak. One and a half. So basically, I'd will take, the Warriors lose two games in a row? I, I take the over. I, I, I'm on record saying I think that they – I wouldn't be surprised if they faced a three-game losing streak at one point. That would be the only three losing games. streak. Okay. I, I don't know if they lose two in a row. I don't think they do. Um, let's see. Ooh, the odds that Durant, Curry, and Thompson each have a 50-point game this season, 9-1. to one. That's that's a crazy low number for, yeah. for that. But I think at the same time, like that's super in the cards, right? Yeah, there's going to be a night when they're just going to feed them and they're all going to play into it. I mean, we saw that yeah. at, at points last year. If I mean, somebody's like t- hot, they will not have a problem just yeah. giving them the ball. I feel like Durant's the one who would like – not, I, mean, I, would, I mean, I wouldn't say he, he would have the toughest time getting to fifty, but like I would put, I would say Clay's like almost more likely than the other two to get to fifty on yeah. a given night. But like, if you said like who would have the most forty point games out of those three, like Durant and Curry are ahead of Thompson, but like Thompson seems to have like another gear when he gets hot that no one else has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it's fun for the teammates because right when he catches the ball, he shoots it. It's yeah. not like you give him the ball, he goes to work and then gets it. it, it it's just more fun for his teammates mm-hmm. when he's scoring rapidly. Okay, last one we'll do. Uh, Over-under playoff losses for the Warriors, five and a half. Whoa. I'm going way under on that. Five and a half? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the under. I mean, keep in mind they play four four series. So right. that's but like that's one loss per series. They're sweeping the first round, right? They're probably sweeping the second round. That means they're gonna lose if you're taking the over that you think they're gonna lose six games over the next two rounds. That seems like a lot. Yeah, I, I would I would, yeah. That right. means you're going to seven basically yeah, I'll take the in under. both series or you're losing one of those series. You're right. I'll take the under. Okay. Yeah, I thought that I thought that one is interesting. I don't know if it's worth putting money on um at all. I haven't really looked that deep into it, but it just seems like if you don't think the Warriors are going to win the title, maybe take the over on five and a half. If you do think they're going to win the title, I don't see them struggling really at all in the first two rounds. Um all right, the San Antonio Spurs. I don't think they're athletic enough. I think from an X's and O's standpoint, they're going to be able to beat every single team out there, barring the Warriors, um, and uh, I'm including the Cavs. Like okay. Spurs can beat the Cavs and whatnot. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard, super athletic, maybe one of the most athletic players in the league. But when you get down to it, Tony Parker, 
uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, sure, he's one of the younger guys on this team, believe it or not, but athletic is not something we've really called him at any point in his career. Pau Gasol. So athleticism for me is going to be a, a problem for them, and that's no surprise. They haven't been super athletic the last few years. That's why they rest guys to keep them healthy and whatnot. So athleticism to me is arguably their biggest weakness. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, I, I went uh, interior defense with Pau Gasol. I think, you know, Duncan only played something like 20 minutes per game last year. He was in and out of the lineup, but, you know, they were still a better defensive team with him on the court. Gasol at this point in his career, a a big time minus defender. I think he's going to help them overall just because they're going to need his scoring and his rebounding. But I think on D they're going to struggle. And, you know, this team is just not built to beat the Warriors. They're built to beat pretty much just about any other team. Yeah, 28 other teams. Yeah, and that's fine. Like in most NBA seasons, you're good with that, with that construction, but uh, yeah, I think you kind of have to view them. You have to view everybody in the league under a different lens because there's this team out west that you have to get through to win. And you know, the Spurs roster, you know, 99 out of 100 other seasons is probably right up there with with the best in the league. But the way it's constructed, I think I just I just don't see how you can how you can match up with the Warriors' death lineup. What about the Thunder? Thunder for me, I'm going to go with the front court. It seems like, I, th- I think it's somewhat of a mirage here. You look and you've got Ilya Sovera, who if nothing else is a veteran. You've got Cantor, you've got Steven Adams, and you've got this young upstart from Gonzaga, Demonis uh, Sabonis, and you think, wow, he's going to start. That means that you know he must be a little bit better than Ilya Sova or Cantor in that spot. I don't know if that's true. Uh, maybe more of a placeholder than anything. Uh, but to me, just because you have some name value here and some of these guys made a name for themselves, namely Steven Adams during the uh, playoffs last year does not mean that this is a solid front court. I think they're going to have problems finding out the right combination. By the way, I haven't even talked about the small forward, which qualifies as the front court as well. Andre Roberson, negative on offense. Obviously, he's good on defense. You look at the next two guys, um, they're not even a plus on offense, and they're a major problem on defense in Kyle Singler and Anthony Amaro. So front court, major struggle, no surprise there. Backcourt is going to be very good with Westbrook and Oladipo. Just being back heavy is, is going to be an issue for them moving forward. Obviously, against certain teams, it's not going to matter that much. If you look at a team like the Port and Trail, Trailblazers, it's going to be one heck of a matchup. Um, bad, not great front court against another not great front court, um, and then going against two very, very good backcourts. Um, um, game by game, it'll be a little bit different, but on the whole, their front court should pose major issues for them as the season goes on. Yeah, I think the wing is an area of concern for sure. Um, I, I think how good Kevin Durant is has kind of masked that for the last few years that they really haven't had great play outside of him. Uh, Robertson picked it up, you know, in the playoffs, but I don't know how sustainable that is. Um, you know, to me, it's just Russell Westbrook's health and. For as tough a player as he is and as resilient a player as he is, he's had health issues. Um, and I, as I've said before, I just don't know that he can he can give you what you need to, one, have the statistical season that we think he's going to have, and two, you know, will this team to, to continue to be a playoff team without Durant. He needs to be you know near peak health for 82 games. And I have my doubts as to, you know, with as much as they're going to ask him to do this year, if he's going to be able to stay healthy. So hopefully he does, but... Uh, to me, that, that's the biggest question mark for this team. The L.A. Clippers. Um, this one for me, no bench. I'm just going to put that out there right away. This team has a very, very bad bench, particularly in the front court. Um, if Blake Griffin gets hurt again, if you know, if he you know, does something to any team employees, uh, they're going to be in big trouble. Same with DeAndre Jordan. I mean, if either of those guys get hurt, we're looking at big time like Brandon Bass, Maurice Spates experience. 
Right. So, so for me, I, I think their flaws have, have been known for a few years now. Everybody, like you said, when you were stacking um, the Warriors up against the Spurs, everyone immediately goes to the Warriors. But again, they've, they've put themselves in a position to be better than 26 other teams in the NBA, like easily better, not just better, but like easily better. And so you just kind of have to ride it out and hope you get lucky at some point with this roster. We love to kind of hate on the Clippers and maybe poke fun of them or whatever. Um, they're not one of my favorite teams but what I do love about them is their their us versus everybody else personality. And they've really taken that on. If you're a Clippers fan, there's no doubt you love it. Um, but this is a very good team. And so, yes, I agree that their bench is not that great. For me, it's small forward, whether you go with Luke, Richard, and Bamute, Wesley Johnson, Alan Anderson, or even if you decide to go with Raymond Felton, which has been exper- uh, experimented by um, with Doc um, very, very good team, but obvious flaws, obvious flaws to the point, um, not to the point where they're not better than 26 other teams in the league. All right. What about Portland? Portland for me is that they're backcourt heavy. So, uh, like I just said, I compared them to Oklahoma city. I think there's a lot of the same issues. We look at this team and you say, oh, you know, Plumlee's coming along. We don't mind him as your starting center, especially in today's traditional NBA. Mason Plumlee is probably a top half center in the league. Um, Myers Leonard hasn't come along as much as you'd like to. Ed Davis is solid off the bench, but nobody here is really going to change the tide of a game one way or another. Maurice Harkless at small forward. All your all your energy and all your potential comes from the backcourt and Lillard and McCollum, and that's an issue. You need to have different pressure points where if one thing's not working one game, you can at least go to them. Uh, you know, if it's not working out for how many teams you're going to see throughout the league. Uh, so being backcourt heavy is a major issue for me and probably their biggest issue. You? Yeah, I mean this one you're kind of you know you kind of have to poke holes in what I think is a pretty solid roster. Uh, they do rely very, very heavily on Lillard and, and to a slightly lesser degree, uh, McCollum. Um, but yeah, to me, it's just a, it's just a matter of having too many really good players and not enough great players. So there's a lot of teams in the league, or at least a handful of teams in the league, that have the same issue. You know, I, I talked with Kale Chenard this morning uh, on a call, and he, he we were kind of talking about Damian Lillard versus Steph Curry, and and you know that whole debate, and like. Lillard shot almost ten points less than the you know from the field, uh, field goal percentage wise than than Curry did last season. Like that's that's the kind of difference we're talking about here. Like I love Damian Lillard. I think he's you know a borderline top ten player in the league. But your best player can't be a big time big time volume shooter who who only converts you know forty one percent. The yeah the issue there is that if you look at his teammates and that's what I'm saying here. If if you have a pressure point somewhere else. That's going to relieve a little bit of that shooting percentage for Lillard. Curry is afforded that luxury with, you know, a Draymond Green or somebody like that. Yeah, Whereas, I, mean, I think they have some weapons, though. Not to the point of a I, – I think Lillard is just, like, not 10 percentage points worse of a shooter than Curry is, like, if, if you're just going to go out there and, and just shoot with no defense. And so I think that comes down to how much space is created by your teammates. And I think a little bit of that, not all of that, is is the lack of of skill in their front court. Yeah, I, I think they, you know, guys like Harkless and Aminu are like really, really good in their roles. But yeah, you you can't say, all right, we're just going to dump it down to Al Farouk here and have him grab us a quick bucket. Like they have all these guys who are really nice, like stretchy, can you know, can play the three, can play the four. Um, but I almost feel like you know their their value on offense is you know catch and shoot, finish and transition, and and they're almost more valuable, I think, for what they bring defensively. Uh, the Dallas Mavs. Dallas Mavericks, for me, um, not much youth and kind of feeling like that drop-off or that cliff is very near. 
Um, so this has been a team, and granted, Mark Cuban just doesn't want to go into take mode, and I, I think that's respectable in its own right. That being said, you know, if in one or two years we said this team is kind of like a perennial lottery team for the next few years, just just by not under their own choice, I wouldn't be surprised because you have people like Harrison Barnes not by any means proven whatsoever is kind of the center point of your franchise moving forward. If you look at the young players that they've acquired via draft, Justin Anderson, pretty solid. We don't know if he's going to be a great scorer in this league. And then Dwight Powell, again, very solid. But I don't know if these guys are going to be more than just rotational players when it's all said and done, when their careers are over. So that lingering feeling or that feeling in the back of Mavs fans' heads that you know this might be the last year that we have a shot to make the playoffs for a while because this roster is just not getting any better based on um, needed experience. You know, once Nowitzki goes, once Darren Williams is out of here, we don't really have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Darren Williams part of that is like, yeah, you know, I, I think I think they'll be fine when he's gone. But what this team reminds me of kind of is the like late '90s or I guess through the '90s. Uh, early 2000s Pacers that, that were coached by Rick Carlisle for, for three years at the end. Um, they went to the playoffs 16 out of 17 years. They, they got a finals appearance in there, um, you know, ultimately lost in the finals. But it was you know first, second, third round every single year. Expectation was you're making the playoffs, you find a way to make the playoffs, and they did. And then they go 41 and 41, sneak into the playoffs in 05, 06 under Carlisle. The next year it's 35 wins. Carlisle's gone 36, 36, 32 uh, before they get back into the playoffs in 2010-11. So I could kind of see the Mavericks taking a similar path there where it's this you know, perennial playoff team. You can basically just pencil them in. Um, but eventually you do kind of hit that wall. And for the Pacers, it was moving on from the Reggie Miller, Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, Jermaine O'Neal era. Um, and you know, the, maybe the, the volatile characters are, are absent in this scenario with Dallas. But uh, I think anytime you go through kind of a changing of the guard like that, and the obvious player here is Dirk, uh, there is a little bit of a lull, no matter how good your coach is, you know. So we give a lot of credit to Rick Carlisle, and rightfully so. But uh, I am kind of with you that this this maybe is the year that, you know, if Dirk doesn't have another career year at age thirty eight or thirty nine, uh, it's not hard to see this team falling off. For me, uh, though, the well, I'll keep this quick. the The main weakness is Harrison Barnes. Like they're going to rely too much on Harrison Barnes, and you know they're not going to ask him to be a twenty point per game guy by any means, but shot like 29% from the field in the preseason. <laughs> and like that, you know, it's the preseason. That doesn't mean all that much, but like, I, I don't know. I mean, is it possible to be like permanently damaged from a final series? I think we might find out. So, you know, even if they're not asking Harrison Barnes to be the number one option, you still need more than 38-year-old Dirk, you know, Wes Matthews and Darren Williams. And you look coming down this roster, they really don't have too much else. The Memphis Grizzlies. Grizzlies for me, uh, the grit and grind basically is a thing of the past. Even if they do have their major players stay healthy, it's somewhat been proven over the last five years or so that they just haven't been able to get over the hump. And so, um, you know, you're going to talk about, you know, an aging core, and, and I agree, but even if this aging core stays healthy for the whole year, it's not enough. It's just not the type of NBA that we're used to. This is not the 90s in the NBA where this team would really excel. Um, so for me, it's just that they're somewhat out of place, even if they do stay healthy. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, it, it is tough to win, I guess, using that style. They, they are going to try to move, I think, a little more toward the, the pace and space, you know, using Jermichael Green, bringing Randolph off the bench. He's been shooting more threes uh, in the preseason. But, yeah, I think it's just this reliance on the aging core. Um, 
you know, Memphis kind of chose this offseason when they re-signed Conley and, and obviously when they re-signed Gasol last year. Um, they kind of chose to remain in the same kind of cycle that they're in right now. And they said, like, all right, you know what, we're, we're fine being a perennial playoff team with a ceiling uh, as opposed to the alternative of kind of bottoming out and rebuilding. And eventually they're going to have to do that. But I think they, they kind of decided to prolong at least for a few more years this grit and grind era that, that's been so good to that city. So in some ways you respect that. In, in other ways you realize that there's now a ceiling on this team. And, um, you know, you're asking a lot of, of Conley and, and Gasol, who are both coming off injuries. Randolph was banged up at the end of last season. Tony Allen's hurt. Um, I mean, Vince Carter is the oldest player in the league right now, and, and he might end up playing significant minutes for this team. Right. Houston Rockets. Lack of front court depth. This is going to be a really fun team if they stay healthy, and I really, really hope they do because they could set a lot of offensive records. But Ryan Anderson's had, had a lot of health issues, and if he gets hurt, um, you know, not to mention Eric Gordon in the backcourt, if either of those guys gets hurt, they're in big trouble. I mean, you're looking at K.J. McDaniels, Pablo Prigioni in the backcourt, Montrez Harrell, um, you know, guys like Sam Decker who are going to have to play big minutes if there are any injuries. So um, Rockets will be fun to watch. I'm high on the Rockets this year. I think Harden's going to have a monster, monster year, but they, uh, they're, they're kind of walking on thin ice with injuries. You know, the easy answer here is their defense as their biggest weakness. And so I'll go ahead and say defense. That being said, defense doesn't really play a huge factor until the playoffs. And so I think that this team is going to be so used to scoring at a high clip and sure the teams that they face will maybe score more than their season average when they face the Rockets. But I think the the Rockets are going to be so accustomed to that type of play that they're going to find their way in the playoffs. And I, and I, and I think that they're actually going to be a pretty good regular season team despite an obvious flaw just across the board on their defense. So the obvious answer is defense – but that being said, I don't know if that's, that, that, that thought is going to bear fruit until the playoffs, really. I, I think that this team can find their way to a solid uh, – I mean, I have them as, five, as high as fourth in, in the West. I would not be surprised if they got there, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got beat in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with this style is, you know, it's, it's – uh, I think I've compared it to Texas Tech football, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, you can, get, you can get up, you know, you, you got Michael Crabtree, you can pull up to number two, number three in the AP, but you know there's always a ceiling. You can't, you can't win a title as a great offensive team that just doesn't play defense. And I think the Rockets are, will be better defensively than people expect, but at the same time, you know, on the scale that we're talking about, that still means they're a below-average defensive team. And, and like you said, I think that's going to catch up to them in the playoffs. What about the Utah Jazz? Looks like we agree on this one. Inexperience for me. I think top to bottom, they they really have filled a lot of their holes, not only on their starting five, but on their on their off their bench. I, I think they're pretty solid across the board. So for me, it's just about gaining reps, not only um, not only as a players, but for Quinn Snyder, who is still somewhat an infantile coach in the NBA. He's proven that he's going to be pretty solid, and I think he'll be a tenured coach in Salt Lake City. Um, but this team just needs more reps, both from a managerial standpoint and from a playing standpoint. I think that's a pretty good uh, major weakness to have. Don't you agree, yeah. Nick? Yeah, I mean, the only way to get reps is to get in the playoffs and kind of take your lumps, I guess. So, yeah, we agree there, like I said. Um, it's just a team I want to see do it before I buy in. And the talent's there. There's no reason they shouldn't be a playoff team. Um, but you know they haven't been able to stay healthy. That's already been an issue now with with Gordon Hayward in the preseason. Uh, but the nice thing is they're deep all over, and you know you can lose Gordon Hayward, and you still have you know guys like like Alec Burks uh, and Rodney Hood who, who can fill in. So I don't think that'll be a huge huge loss for them uh, as long as Gordon doesn't miss more time than he's supposed to. 
Sacramento Kings. Uh, this could be its own separate podcast. <laughs> Problems with the Kings. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, and you can pick uh, a myriad of things here, is just that nobody on this team really cares. I, I don't know that Cousin really I, – I know he cares, but in the grand scheme of things – the players they have on this roster right now are not going to be here in two years. I don't know if the players they have on this roster are going to be here by the end of the season. So when you have such, um, you, you know, such thin ice to work on, I just think mentally that that wears on you. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, when things start to struggle, when you go on a tough road trip, or when you're on a three game losing streak. Do I really think that this team is going to have uh, the mental fortitude to step up and say, you know what, let's come together and, and break out of the streak and really push for an eight seed in the playoffs? I'm going to say, heck no. I don't think they have it. And so I think that nobody on this team uh, really cares, and I think that the management is probably just as much to blame than anybody who will be playing and actually suiting up in a uniform this season for the Kings. Yeah, Dave Yeager might be the best coach that they've had or the coach that best fits this roster um, you know, in the Cousins era, but I don't know that that's going to change anything. I, as I've said before, I think this is going to reach a heat at some point, and, and Cousins probably wants out. Uh, Denver Nuggets. I don't like what they have going on at the point guard spot right now. We'll see, uh, you know, how much improvement Moutier makes, and it's tough to judge rookie point guards. Um, so certainly the jury's still out there. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. We're, we're going to talk to Harrison Wind later this week. He's, uh, he's a writer at BSN Denver, follows the Nuggets really closely. So we'll go to get a lot more insight on this team uh, after talking to him. But, I, you know, I like the depth in the front court. I like the depth on the wing, assuming Chandler and Gallo are healthy. you got Barton, who can kind of be a Swiss Army knife and play shooting guard or small forward. Um, you know, same goes for both Gallo and, and Chandler. Uh, but the point guard is where the questions are. You know, you have Jamal Murray, who... I think is a you know sixty forty shooting guard point guard, but he's enough of a talent that I, I don't know if Moody can get too comfortable. Um, you know, especially gets off to a, a slow start. I totally agree. I think their biggest weakness is maybe too much depth. Um, and maybe a changing of the guard. At what point do you decide to deal Kenneth Fareed? Uh, do you want to lock up Gallinari? Um, not only you know just moving forward. I, I think his contract is coming up here. Um, or do you want to move somebody like a Will Barton into that role? Or uh, I mean, they have lots of different ways to go. And I think right now they got a little bit too much depth. It needs to be sorted out by some point this season. Of course, winning cures everything, but I don't think this team is going to do that quite this year. So what they really need to do, just like we talked about with the Utah Jazz, this team is a few years behind the Jazz. I think that they have as much talent as maybe the Jazz did a few years ago, um, where they are right now. Um, but I think they need to sell it up and give the players they really want to work with over the next few years the majority of reps. And so that'll be important for them to figure out, not for this whole season, but within the first third of the season and then roll with that for the second you know, two-thirds or the, the remaining remainder of the season. We have some breaking news. Whoa. The Pistons have found their point guard uh, to compliment Ish Smith in the absence of Reggie Jackson. Bano Udra! He's oh. back, claimed off waivers from Miami. What an SVG so Bano, guy. Yeah, right? Yeah. No, great move. Um, and I think Bano's getting a lot of money from Miami still. Uh, so good for him, hitting hitting the jackpot as basically a temporary third point guard. Man, um, Ish, I mean, I know they needed to add another point guard, but Ish, nobody likes Ish Smith. I just, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I think this is a fine move. I, it's a fine I move. I don't think it says much about Ish. It's, they just want depth. You don't think Udre could could potentially take over that starting role over Ish? No. No. Okay. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe anything's really possible. I guess. I just I just think they needed to add depth, regardless. I don't I don't think they don't necessarily trust Ish Smith. 
Uh, they just, I mean, they brought him in with the intent that he's the backup, so it's kind of reasonable, I guess, to to panic a bit uh, when he's thrust into that role. But New Orleans Pelicans. Um, Try not to take an hour on this. Center position's not great. You know, when, when Davis is playing power forward, they still haven't found the right guy to really play next to him. Uh, I'm worried about their shooting, you know, with, with, with Drew Holiday out indefinitely, with Tyreek Evans out indefinitely, with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, the, the two best shooters on this team, now playing for another team. Um, there, there's some issues there. They're, we're going to rely a lot on Buddy Heald, which will be fun to watch, but not necessarily uh, good from a wins and losses perspective. So this is a team with a lot of problems. Um, it's it's not going to be pretty, I, I don't think, for, for the Pelicans this year, but hopefully we can at least just salvage a vintage uh, Anthony Davis year statistically. Yeah, I hope so too. For me, biggest weakness is, is injuries, and obviously that's out of their hand. Um, and, and, and other absences, I should say, as well. I, I, it's, it's tough to run an organization. It's hard to judge a new coach like Alvin Gentry. You know, really just has a free pass into the next year until he has a firm cast of characters to work with. And we've already got a, a long injury report from this New Orleans Pelicans team, and Anthony Davis is a hard sneeze away from being out for you know a few games or a week or something like that because uh, he's their future. And, and the delicate thing here is, He's their future. This season is already a wash, basically. So why would they want to overexert him and, and, and allow him or make him play more than 75 games? And so it's a really tough situation to be in all around, top to bottom. Um, but yeah, their injuries, I mean, anybody can go in there, take a look at their depth chart and, and realize what their biggest struggle will be this year and what is what it is currently right now. Minnesota. Too much hype. People are way too high on them. Their expectations are going to be far too big. I've said it numerous times on this podcast. You're going to hear me say it throughout the seasons. When you bring in a new coach, things don't just mesh right away. It takes a while. It takes a season. It takes a season and a half. Yes, this core is going to be very good. It's the youngest, sexiest core maybe in the entire league. I like it. I love the coach. He's a top five coach, but it's going to take a little while for this thing to really um, mature into what it's going to be moving forward. So what that means is they have too much hype. Uh, people immediately in the first third of the season or before the All-Star game are going to take a look at their record. It's not going to be good. I just don't think it's going to be that good. And they're going to say, wow, this is not working. You know, like Who do they need to bring in to make this better? Is Tibbs not as good of a coach we thought he were? No, it just needs more time to materialize. And there's just too much hype right now. There's too much hype on a team that's actually not that good, Nick. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a little bit down on the Wolves relative to most people. I, I think they'll they'll be good enough to compete for a playoff spot. I, I certainly wouldn't pencil them in quite yet. Um, I mean, this is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league last year. They didn't really do much to address that. It's it's tough to win in this league uh, if you can't shoot the three. Uh, so they need improvement from Wiggins there. They need sustained improvement from Levine. And you know, I don't know if at this point, I don't think you can say that you hope Ricky Rubio becomes a better shooter because that's just not no. going to happen at this point. So if you're not getting shooting at the point guard spot, uh, you need to have it just about everywhere else. And they're not going to get it from Gorgie Jang. Um, so, I mean, Towns might be the best three point shooter on this team. And that's a compliment to him, but it's also kind of a shot at everybody else. 
Yeah, and I think the immediate thought would be like, oh, what about Wiggins? But if you look at his three-point percentage, last year it was 30%, year before it was 31%. Obviously, he needs to make a big jump, but when you say Towns is their best three-point shooter, that's not far off. Somebody, uh, I, I mention him all the time when we talk about this, but Nemanja Bielitsa, if this guy can find a, way, make, or find a way to make a big jump, he could really be the cure-all for this team by providing uh, you know, a stretch for um, and it would be really interesting. We always talk about like, oh, what Ryan Anderson type, you know, we always talk about if this team, you know, pick any team had a Ryan Anderson type, uh, a really tall stretch four guy, um, then, you know, they'd be so much better. That's something that Bielitsa could be a poor man's Ryan Anderson. He's already 28 years old. He had his rookie season under his belt where he averaged just under 18 minutes per game. Nick, I know you're not high on him whatsoever, but we need to treat him just like we would any other rookie. And it's possible that he could take a jump and be able to give them some rotational minutes to help uh, with that three-point shooting. Last year, he shot 38% from beyond the arc, uh, attempting just over two on only 18 minutes per game. I I think he might be the solution, the in-house solution that they already have. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I think you're asking a lot of Bielitsa, uh to become that guy. In, I'm not saying it's out of the cards, but um, I mean, you're going to need a drastic improvement f- from a player who was not all that good for most of last season. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe they make a move to, to add shooting at some point if they do feel they are in contention. So that, that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, what about the Phoenix Suns? We touched on it when we talked about Archie Goodwin, for me, when do you make that changing in the guard? When do you make it happen? Because Tyson Chandler is still on this team, P.J. Tucker. Jared Dudley has, is, is, a good t- is a good fit on any team, so I don't really want to throw him into the mix. But you do have Marquise Chris. You have Dragan Bender. At what point do you say, all right, uh, we may not make the playoffs or we're, we're fighting for that 8C, but when do we need to get Chris and Bender reps? Because even if you do choose one over the other, um, you still got Jared Dudley in the mix. So for me, a biggest weakness is not really knowing when to stop contending. Um, and that's tough because the team is always going to try to contend. But really, for w- what would be in the best interest of this team a couple years down the road is at some point I think they need to stop contending, even if they are in the mix for an eight seed. I know that sounds crazy, but they're not going to make it far in the playoffs. If they do make an eight or even a seven seed, they're just going to get lambasted in the first round. I think it'd be much better to run with a little bit of Tyler Eulis as your backup point guard, a lot of, of Devin Booker, a lot of TJ Warren, a lot of Marquise Chris, Dragan Bender. And by the way, Alex Len has been perpetually stifled um, by the centers ahead of him like Tyson Chandler. So at some point, hopefully it's before the All-Star break for me, I think they need to just run out there with all these young guys and see what they have. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I don't see this team as, as really being a, a playoff caliber team unless you know a few players kind of play above their head or you know basically they need everybody to be healthy and that that's what I wrote for their biggest weaknesses they have a lot of injury prone players that you know they really are depending on to to kind of buck trends that have spanned most of their career um but yeah I, I think they I think they regretted the Tyson Chandler signing like three days after it <laughs> happened I mean it was such an odd deal to begin with um kind of a, a last ditch effort to woo LaMarcus Aldridge and and all of a sudden they were stuck with Tyson Chandler and no Aldridge, and and you know not, he just doesn't seem to fit. Like you said, he doesn't fit with the timeline of the rest of this team. And I think they'll look to deal Chandler. They probably look to deal him for part of last season as well. He's not on a terrible deal in in the current contract landscape, but he's not himself anymore. He's an older player, so it's it's going to be tougher to deal him. I think he has three years left on that deal, counting this year. 
Um, so yeah, I, I agree with what you said there though. I think they need to, to kind of make a decision with the, with the, the, uh, direction of this franchise. All right, let's finish out with the LA Lakers for me. Um, it's just, a, it's just a lack of experience and a little bit of a lack of maturity. I think with this team, I, I, I think Luke Walton is the, the right guy to kind of find that balance between relating to a lot of these young guys, but still, you know, bringing that winning experience from Golden State and he's not going to be a pushover. Um, but at the same time, I mean, this is a team that still has Nick Young, uh, still has D'Angelo Russell. You know, you're building around a bunch of 20 to, you know, 22 year olds. And it's just hard to win in the league when you have guys, you know, that age. Right. For me, the weakness here is they're not really planning for the next few years accordingly because you look at their top two guys on uh, their salary list right now. Granted, they're only 21st in terms of total salary going into this year, but it's Dang. He's locked up for the next four years. It's Mozgov. He's locked up for the next four years. They really kind of handicap themselves in moving forward in adding a legitimate younger free agent um, and bringing in some rookies at this point. I mean, at what point do you bring in a legitimate center to play in the front court alongside Julius Randle, maybe by draft at this coming year, and then you're sitting somebody who's maybe making $16 million for the next three years? It just doesn't make sense, and I'm not sure why they did that. Why don't you just stay under or or just find I, – I don't know. And so – I'm I'm afraid for the next few years because I feel like they handicap themselves and so trying to make their make their own minds believe that they need to be playing or it makes sense to play Dang and Mozgov is going to be a major weakness for me. So basically, uh, the money the money for me is is their weakness because they're going to have to fool themselves into believing they should be playing players that they shouldn't be playing if they care about the next few years ahead. Does that makes sense. I hope it yeah, did. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. They okay. they did have an odd mix of, you know, I think that they were like really hesitant to embrace a full full like Nets Sixers type right. of rebuild and, and you know, the signing of Luol Deng, the signing of Mozgov kind of kind of worked against that. But, you know, this is the Lakers and I, I think they they always want to keep things interesting, but I'm still going to be watching a lot of Lakers games this year. I'm glad they're on TV as much as they are. Could yeah. not have said that last season. No, I, I agree. I think you, me, and James uh, would completely agree. They'll be at the top of our list. They'll be fun to watch. But four years for Dang and Moskov. Uh, again, they handicap themselves. Weird deals. Yeah. Weird deals. All right, that'll wrap it up for the Monday podcast. Like I said, we'll be talking to Harrison Wind uh, tomorrow. We'll record that, and we'll probably get it up tomorrow, I think. So a lot of interesting thoughts on the Denver Nuggets before their season begins. Uh, as always, check out everything on the site. Projections are up. Cheat sheets are up if, you know, if you're still drafting with about 25 hours left before the season. Best of luck to you, and we'll be back on Tuesday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.